old-fashioned football on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is brought to you by Shady Rays. Go to ShadyRays.com and use promo code SGPN for 50% off two-plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. We're also brought to you by our NBA Playoff Survival Challenge. We're giving away $250 cash and a $100 gift card. Sign up today exclusively on the SGP. Old-fashioned football. You make this deal right now, you pancake-eating mother... All right, deal! Old-fashioned football. Welcome, welcome to old-fashioned football. I am your co-host J Mark. You can find me on Twitter at J Mark Football, and I am Mur. And you can find me at J Mark's wifey. That's right. Justin did not introduce me. This is going to be a different episode this, well, today. today. It is Whiskey Wednesday, and we're going to jump right into things. We have a special guest, head distiller from Savage and Cook, Dylan Carney, is joining us. Real quick, if this is your first time joining, welcome. We are a uh, a podcast called Old Fashioned Football, obviously, which you probably saw from the title, but... Just to give you a rundown, we uh, we talk fantasy football normally while drinking an old fashioned. Though today we have all these lovely Savage and Cook products that we're drinking, um, and we review whiskey. We talk whiskey, review whiskey, and uh, we're also, as you might have figured out from her Twitter at J Mark's wifey, husband and wife, um, a very bitter fantasy football rivalry in house here. You don't mess with this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, do you think we might as well, um, this is part two, by the way, of a two-parter. Make sure you check out yesterday's episode where we interviewed former NFL linebacker, current ESPN analyst, Sam Acho. That was a lot of fun. It so much fun. It was so much fun. I'm really excited for today. Yes. Let's bring Dylan Carney, head distiller of Savage and Cook Distillery. Let's bring him in now. Let's do it. In three, two, one. All right, to all our listeners, we've been talking about this for two, three weeks now, pumping it up, and I know you've been excited. So I want to introduce to you the head distiller at Savage and Cook, Dylan Carney. Dylan, welcome to Old Fashioned Football. How are you doing today? Cheers, guys. Great to be with you. Absolutely. Cheers. Um, now, we've tried a couple of Savage and Cook whiskeys on our show, so our listeners should be familiar with the distillery, but we have not tried any of the ones that you're going to walk us through. We're really excited about that. Um, but before we do that, we've got a couple questions for you. And cool. just to give our listeners some background, and Dylan, correct me if I am wrong on any of this or if I don't pronounce <laughs> everything correctly. But our sure head distiller, <laughs> our head distiller, Dylan here, he graduated from NC State with a science and engineering degree, went to Harriet Watts New Brewing and Distillation, and there you focused on absinthe. And worked in Aboyne, Scotland, at the Lost Lock Distillery, again with the focus on absinthe. And then now here you are at Savage and Cook. It's, it's a sort of suburb west of the city, more people would know. Oh, okay. okay. 
Uh, 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 the, the, the town of Boyne is fairly remote. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's, that had to be really interesting out in Scotland. Um, it was a really cool and, experience, yeah. I bet. Yeah. And today you are with Savage and Cook where you started as an assistant distiller and now you're the head distiller. Did I miss anything in your journey no, that's, there that, or that, anything that, that you want to add? That's a good summation, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted no, to I, give I, our listeners like your full history. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, a very accurate part of that telling. Uh, been with Savage and Cook now for five years. It's been a really wonderful mm-hmm. experience uh, apprenticing under a master distiller there. Of, uh, yeah. Certainly learned a lot uh, getting my master's degree in Scotland, but uh, learning, it, it's very much an applied trade. So coming into it with some background knowledge is great, but the last five years has been a total whirlwind and continual learning experience. Part of what I love about it. Very cool. Um, before we get into all these questions, I mean, I guess this is kind of a question, but when we were emailing, uh, I had said master distiller and you corrected me to head distiller, which I didn't even know there was a difference, but I kind of thought your your description of it and how there's no real timeline of getting your master distilling, uh, I guess, title. Can you kind of touch on that and walk us through that? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny point. It's funny. I, I, I'm called master distiller often because it's a, it's a good billing if I'm doing an event and I don't, uh, I don't, I've, I've stopped correcting too many people on it. Uh, cause I, it's easier not to a lot of the time, but out of respect for uh, the master distiller that I've apprenticed under for the last five years, name's uh, Jordan Vi. He's a uh, he was there right at the start of the company as a uh, he, he, he was uh, he was consulting on the project, and then brought him in, and I had the good fortune to learn under him. Uh, so I, I can share with you his definition of what makes a master distiller. Uh, it's the one that I've adopted uh, out of respect for him. Uh, he for years was a head distiller somewhere and he had a lot of excellent mentors um one of them being uh, dave pickerel of uh, whistlepig distillery no longer with us but uh uh he for years and years was a head distiller and was uh, consulting in lots of places teaching other people how to distill uh did a lot of work for the uh, american distilling institute uh Mm -hmm. good friends of ours uh but he taught a lot of classes there and uh he was presenting one year and they you know, Dave Pickerel and I forget the other individual came in and introduced him as master distiller. They felt that he had earned it. So uh, in my mind, it's a title that uh, other master distillers tell you when your peers let you know that you've earned it, you've earned it. Now <laughs> for, for, for certain sales roles, which is part of what I do as well. It's uh, it's easier to just say, sure. I'm that guy. Uh, <laughs> right. Absolutely. But uh, I, 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 I feel I've earned head distiller. I definitely run a lot of the day-to-day stuff that we do. But uh, uh, whiskey that we've distilled personally is just about to come online. So uh, I don't feel too comfortable introducing myself as master distiller until I've had a full chance to evaluate my work over the full aging of the whiskey. And then, you know, if we choose to modify what we're doing to adapt to that process, then I've had a chance to learn really what I'm doing in my craft all the way from start to finish that way. I've played with all the parts of it at this stage, but it takes something that I've done myself uh, all the way from start to finish. I certainly wouldn't uh, wouldn't feel I've mastered it until I've done a good number of that. And I certainly won't introduce myself that way until my mentor <laughs> introduces me that way. He'll get to make that call and when he's good and ready, and I, I wouldn't rush him on it. I have to earn it. So Fair it's enough. just out of respect for, for him and yeah. people who've earned it themselves. That's yeah. really neat. I like that. 
All right, we got to talk about Shady Rays. Give off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and much more. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. So let's say you're you're hanging out outside, you're drinking a little bit too much whiskey, and you, you fall down and your glasses fall, and they hit the rocks and they break. What are you going to do? Doesn't matter. Shady Rays will replace them, no questions asked. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, if it happens day one, they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after your purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good and... Here's why you can feel good. We love when people do good things. Shady Rays to date have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. That is amazing. If you don't love them, the pair that you get, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out the best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use promo code SGPN for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. That's a lot of people. They all gave them five stars. That's how you know it's good. We are also brought to you by the NBA Survivor Challenge. Make sure to check out our NBA Playoff Survival Challenge. Completely free to enter, and the winner gets 250 cash and a $100 SGPN gift card exclusively on the SGPN app. Coming from a background in science and engineering, when did you know that you were interested in distilling, and when did you make the decision to go down that path? Sure. Um, you know, uh, if you grew up uh, in this modern era and you're vaguely good at math and science and you have undiagnosed ADD, they, uh, <laughs> they tell you to go into engineering. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I liked it. Uh, when, they, when they pitch you on engineering when I was growing up, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of demonstrations, you know, liquid nitrogen uh, ice cream. You learn about, you know, cell nucleation from liquid to solid and doing so rapidly makes things creamy. That's how dip and dots works and really creamy ice cream is something that's been frozen really quickly or building a popsicle stick bridge out of glue and then breaking it and shatters and it's tactile and it's involved. And I like that. Uh, turns out, you know, a lot of engineering work that's like that, that's the technician's job to assemble things and to test them and to grease the wheel and to get the chain fixed in and tuned in correctly. They pay engineers too much to do stuff like that, uh, which, you know, I, I really value the jobs that technicians do. And for me, that was, the, that was the fun part where I got to apply the knowledge. And so by the time I got out of school, I had a wonderful education at NC State. Material science and engineering was a fascinating, fascinating science. Um, I didn't want to stay in academia where things are a little bit more applied and I didn't want to work in a cubicle. I really didn't want to work in a cubicle. I'm ill-suited for that kind of lifestyle. Uh, So I'm actually super fortunate. I have uh, very supportive parents who, by the time I graduated, I really didn't start drinking uh, until I was, you know, probably closer to 20, regularly drinking, which wasn't that interested in uh, in really poor drinking. (laughs) Uh, When you got to send someone else to the liquor store to buy the cheapest handle of vodka and just... 
it just didn't thrill me. I was, uh, <laughs> I preferred alternative alternative sources. You know what I mean? Yeah. Of, yeah. Uh, of imbibing at the time, uh, but you know, in late into being twenty, uh, by the time I could go to the liquor store myself, I uh, started to explore not just the consumption of things, but kind of applied that engineering mindset to, you know, why is this bourbon $10 more? What are they doing differently? What's in their mash bill? What kind of aging conditions is going on? Uh, I was in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the craft beer scene was really taking off. And I could go with uh, friends of mine with a Groupon for 10 bucks, and we could get two free pints and a free four-pack and a growler takeaway, and they came with a free pint glass. They were giving beer away in Raleigh at that time. So I had a chance to take a bunch of brewery tours for practically free, um, which allowed us to drink craft beer, which is higher ABV than rock. And <laughs> I got to learn something about it. I, I started to care as much about how as what it did to me. <laughs> and uh, that, that made it much more fascinating for me. And so by the time I had graduated, I'd really stopped looking for work in the engineering fields. And I moved back home with my parents and I spent more time going to brewery tours and distillery flight nights at our local bar than I did looking for work. I blew through what meager savings I had and uh, I count myself super fortunate. I've got really supportive parents who said, they, they asked me if I actually gave a shit about heading into the engineering fields or if this is what I really wanted to be doing. Uh, and so they uh, made me aware of this program in Scotland that I could go into and I Went and took that opportunity. It was uh, I think it took about another eight months before uh, the next program had started. Once I got into it, I spent that time working on a on a bottling line for a brewery in New, in New Jersey, uh, River Horse Brewing Company, where uh, you know I was familiar with moving pallets on a pallet jack and filling cases full of beer and uh, running an automated bottling line, which is the real you know. The this this role as well as that role, uh, anything in my industry is you know seventy percent janitorial, a lot of the physical labor <laughs> involved, and which is the part about it that I love. It's very tactile. Uh, the problem solving, the troubleshooting, is a lot of times duct tape and banging on things with the mallet, <laughs> uh, which is my favorite kind of problem solving. So I got a nice hands on and uh, and true feel for it. I went and got a very academic perspective on it, and I, uh, after that, uh, see, in Scotland, I uh, did the program, the academic part of it, and then uh, the last summer portion of it, you get to do a project, and I have a particular love for absinthe, actually. Uh, it's been, always been a spirit that I've been drawn to. I love the taste of black licorice, a bit of a divisive yeah. flavor, uh, yeah, right. but I really enjoy it, uh, so... I uh, <laughs> think everyone in my program knew there was one absent option for the summer projects, and everyone knew that I was going to claim it as best I could. <laughs> People were happy to let me have it. <laughs> we are brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy is a great place to get down on fantasy and player props all year long. Underdog Fantasy has your favorite NBA, NHL, and MLB daily games. Plus, they're already doing best ball drafts for the 2023 NFL season. Head on over to underdogfantasy.com and use promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com promo code SGPN. 
absinthe like is something we well, we obviously know what absinthe is but we know very little about like what goes into distilling it um oh, sure is there is there a craft to absinthe like we see with all these different whiskeys like what goes what goes into distilling absinthe <laughs> absolutely uh so producing absinthe is mm -hmm. uh not dissimilar to how you might make a gin where you take uh, essentially a neutral spirit traditionally mm -hmm. it would be a, a grape based uh distillate uh but the history of absinthe is fraught with using uh, cheap ingredients so it could be anything really um but then uh it's botanically flavored primarily so you take a neutral-ish uh spirit hopefully pretty neutral mm -hmm. spirit and then uh there's lots of things you can put into it but uh i call it the unholy trinity uh so you have wormwood uh aniseed and fennel are the three primary ingredients to absinthe you know you could use mint you could use coriander there's lots of things you could use um i used uh a, a traditional kind of swiss base i did some uh, traveling to switzerland and met up with a distiller who's kind enough to share her recipe with me uh she said i couldn't take a picture of it but i could write down exactly what was written on the page i don't know why she made the distinction that way but she was very generous with her uh, knowledge and information i shared a, a bitter recipe of mine today uh with somebody just by happenstance i i tried to pay that forward within my industry if i got a recipe and you want to know and i'm happy to send it to you uh, there's there's no secrets to what i do i like uh, to be as transparent as possible the very much how you do it not what's written down uh where all the skill mm -hmm. is so mm -hmm. uh but absinthe is made that way you steep those botanicals overnight um in your neutral spirit and you redistill that uh and that gives you a, a white absinthe and absinthe blanc uh, which is more of a Swiss style, and then more of the French style is to infuse uh, additional botanicals into that. Uh, a lot of them sort of leafy greens. Uh, fennel and anise are green in color. It's really the, or mint is usually what I use for coloring. Uh, it's really the chlorophyll of those uh, mm -hmm. fresh green botanicals that are giving it that color. If you, that's why a lot of absinthe bottles are uh, dark color because the chlorophyll mm -hmm. will degrade. Same like. The leaves on trees in fall will turn a brown color, which is a perfectly tasty absinthe, but it's not as visually appealing looking. Of course, with whiskey, it's all brown, so right. I, yes. it, it doesn't doesn't bother me either. Uh, I actually uh, I, I travel with my own uh, absinthe spritzer, <laughs> so I can make cocktails in the hotel room. I love a sazerac. That's my favorite thing to do with the rye whiskey. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, your dad loves sazeracs. Yeah, my dad loves sazeracs. Um, They're great. My my I guess my main experience with absinthe was in college. Uh, a friend of mine <laughs> somehow got it from overseas, and we were looking at it. And, you know, it's like mix mix uh, the absinthe with water and the sugar cube and all that. And you're about to ruin absinthe. I know about him. to. Ruin, we're like looking <laughs> yeah, at. It I, I've, like, I've heard the story a hundred times. I know the story. Yeah. I know where it ends. <laughs> yeah, we're like mix with water. Nah, we got UV blue. Let's try that. That sounds interesting. <laughs> That's a new <laughs> twist. <laughs> It was not a great night for us. <laughs> no, I bet it wasn't. <laughs> uh, it's um, it's a it's a much maligned category. It's a, it's a shame to me, but you know the popular media has done no favors to it. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's really we want to blame someone. It's the temperance movement, of the early 1900s, uh, yeah. at a time at a time where temperance was around. You know spirits are what's evil uh stick to safe alcohol like beer and wine 
<laughs> uh, but the, the phylloxera was a it was a it was an infection that came from American New World uh, wine uh, roots. They would they had taken and grafted old world wine onto new world roots in America, and they tried to go back, and and it came with a, a, a mite, I believe, which is, they, they, they called the phylloxera, and it decimated uh, French wine production. And so wine got really expensive in France and French alcoholics who drank three bottles of wine a day could no longer afford to do that. But the production of the sugar beet um, allowed them to make neutralish, really rough spirit. Uh, they could flavor then with the absinthe botanicals. And that became a sort of working class uh, alcoholic beverage. And so people who were just drinking a shit ton of wine then started drinking a shit and abs and, <laughs> and so you, you got some beautiful poetry and art out of it but uh the uh the hoity-toity uh french bourgeoisie uh didn't like the poor people <laughs> we'll get so drunk on cheap booze so the temperance movement cracked down on it and demonized it in ways that wormwood has a a chemical component in it uh called thojun uh thojun is a uh, it's a mild psychoactive stimulant pretty akin to a cup of coffee or a cigarette if you're a smoker. It's, it's just got a slight buzz to it, but it's pretty imperceptible. And if you're drinking 70% alcohol booze, it's going to be a pretty minor effect to whatever else it's doing to you. If you're just drinking that and you're painting to three in the morning, it might just stay awake a little bit, but it's not doing anything particularly special to you. There's no green fairy. I've, I've looked. I've tried. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. They, uh, they oh, go ahead. Oh, they, they did a study where they fed straight thojun to mice, which reminds me of the studies they did on cannabis and our early prohibition of that, where they mm-hmm. fed straight gas masks of, of cannabis to monkeys. And it turns out that asphyxiating monkeys with cannabis smoke makes them a little bit stupider. <laughs> if you asphyxiate anyone, deprive the brain of oxygen, and just give them straight smoke, it will make them dumber permanently. But uh, yeah. it has nothing to do with concentrated THC, <laughs> and it has nothing to do with, you know, if you give someone a straight thojun injection or put it in super high concentration in the rat water, it'll for sure give them that mice cancer, but so will anything if you concentrate it enough. Yeah, mm-hmm. roughly. Sure. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I feel like we know a little bit more about absinthe now. Yes. Um, it's, yeah, still... an unexpected absinthe lesson. <laughs> yeah, right? I love it. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Um, how about a distillery lesson? Because I don't know a lot about how a distillery works. So as the head distiller, you know, we know that Savage and Cook is owned by Dave Finney. Does he approach you with ideas for new products? Is it kind of on you to create or is there a team of people that go into that? Yeah. Um, so Dave, uh, definitely famous in the wine world. Um, mm-hmm. Dave's an excellent winemaker. He, um, he's really good about not micromanaging how we make whiskey. He's hired, uh, he hired Jordan first, who's an excellent and established distiller, and Jordan's taught me. Uh, I've taught David Link, our um, uh, assistant distiller, is currently his title, but uh, what have we been calling him? Uh, our operations manager. Uh, he, he's got a skill set way way more befitting than a, a <laughs> assistant distiller. Uh, sure. And there's there's David Sullivan's our uh, production manager, uh, and Dan Colby is our catch all do everything that needs getting done there's there's five of us on that production team and a smaller support team around that there's not a whole lot of us uh dave does trust us to do the day-to-day on our own he's uh 
like to say that he's there right at the beginning and the end of uh, okay. new products. So, uh, you know, we decided we we're going to do the bourbon and English to start off and we set an objective and he came in at the end and we tweaked things and that's kind of how the products have worked where he does all, he does all the packaging, all of the labeling is his work. Uh, I think that's, uh, I think that's his favorite part. Actually, he, he makes yeah. awesome labels. They're super yeah. eye catching. They're, they're definitely of his style. It seems to be the part of the work he takes the most joy in because he seems mm-hmm. to be super awesome at it. Uh, but he does, uh, he is good about letting the whiskey makers make the whiskey. I, I wouldn't presume to tell him how to make wine. Uh, and I think that he feels the same way about making whiskey. Very nice. Awesome. What's, um, what's day to day like for you as a head distiller? Yeah. Uh, so it's funny. I, I'm on a, an atypical week for me, which is becoming more and more part of my role to be out in the market. So sometimes it's, uh, so I said earlier, uh, kissing hands and shaking babies, going out uh, and meeting <laughs> with different buyers at liquor stores and bartenders and talking cocktail ideas, uh, figuring out what spirits are right for different markets. But uh, mm-hmm. the day-to-day work of a head distiller, I uh, I start nice and early. I I like to get the day rolling at about 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. I do all my best thinking from about 6 in the morning to 10 in the morning. I thought I'm mm-hmm. functional, but my brain is more scattered by that point of the day. All my best thinking is done real early. So I get up, and I'm fired up. Uh, it's, uh, I, I think about it. Uh, all, uh, there's uh, six or seven big machines that all have to come into play. I like to get there first just to get everything spinning. Thinking about it, there's lots of spinning plates. I get the boilers fired up. The cooker uh, gets the water added to it. The grain processing system starts spinning. Um, I've got some great assistance uh, from our uh, operations manager, David Link and Dan Goldie, when they come in. And I hand them a couple plates. And I've got a great, we've really figured out a great relationship where everyone knows everything that's going on. So I see a pump halfway assembled and I know exactly what's going on next. And it's, it's this funny dance that I've developed. It's, uh, it's the only full scale production distillery I've worked at. The place in Scotland I worked at was relatively small. The absent stills that we were using at the beginning, I had a little uh, moonshining still that I was running on yeah. uh, people's stovetops. It's about it was, uh, <laughs> maybe a five gallon still, something like that. I still have it actually. Uh, and they had two like it, so I increased our production capacity for absence by 50% by bringing my own still in. <laughs> uh, our, our still at Savage & Cook is a 20-plate, two-foot diameter Vendome cobble still and a 500-gallon doubler, and it's wow. a three-story tall absolute monster. It cranks a ton of awesome whiskey out. And so it's a totally different game where it's all, I think about the day as an hourglass, where all the pieces have to come in line and doing the dance so that all the pieces thread every day we're bashing a new batch and then we're distilling the batch from last week. So mm-hmm. both those pieces have to happen in harmony where as one is done, the fermenter's empty and the next one can be set anew for the next week and keeping it all rolling. It's a, it's a beautiful dance of production. That's I've, I've it's I've been working on it for five years, and I I wouldn't say I have it perfect, but I definitely have it uh, efficient at this point, and I I I love tweaking every day. Nice, very nice. <clears throat> um, what is your I guess 
with working at Savage and Cook, what's your favorite whiskey that you've worked on so far? I'm pretty partial to the lip service. Uh, okay. I, I'm generally a rye drinker. Um, mm-hmm. I like all spirits. I'm an equal opportunist when it comes to category. Uh, but rye is definitely a favorite of mine. And uh, that's probably the one I'm most proud of. Nice. I've become, I have, with all the whiskeys we've tried, I feel like just in the last year, I've learned I'm really partial to rye too. Yeah. I never... I don't know. You've become it, a rye yeah. drinker for sure. <laughs> I definitely have. I thought I was just all bourbon. And then we started getting into all these ryes. And I was like, no, this is, there's such good flavor there. And I like it. <laughs> yeah, it seems like if there's a, a rye or a high rye bourbon, you tend to like those more. Yes. Um, which, which, is, which is both of the things we make. Not the yeah. 21% mm-hmm. super high for the burning chair, but separate there. Yeah. So for the listeners that don't know, um, you guys worked with Scotty Pippen on a product called Digits. I'm kind of That's curious right. how that came about. Did Scotty approach you guys or how did it kind of all come together? Yeah, uh, super interesting project. I'll, I'll, I'll get to kind of how we make that and how it's been a really interesting thing to work on. Uh, the, the answer is that Scotty did approach us. Uh, he was mm-hmm. looking to uh, get into making brown spirits. That's the thing that he enjoys. Um, yeah. And so he was familiar um, he didn't know our whiskeys yet, but I think he knew Dave for his wine reputation. And uh, okay. someone that he was working with made him aware that Dave had a distillery. Uh, and it's funny, uh, if I want to get a hold of Dave Finney, or if you want to get a hold of Dave Finney, uh, I don't recommend calling the Orange Swift tasting room and leaving a message. <laughs> but if you're Scotty Pippen, that's a great way to get a hold of Dave Finney. <laughs> I'm sure. We, uh, we actually thought that it was a prank. We thought, why would Scotty Pippen be calling us? Yeah. Uh, but if Scotty Pippen calls and leaves a number for you to call back, you gotta call him back, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Dave called him back almost immediately. Uh, Forty-eight hours later, Scotty spends a lot of his time in LA. Um, so Dave, that's a hop and a skip away from us in the San Francisco Bay Area. So Dave got on the plane and met him down there for lunch. And, Lunch turned into dinner, and about six bottles of wine later, they agreed that they were going to do business together. Uh, Dave is a, I, I got a lot of respect for Dave's sort of ethos and how he runs things. And when you're, when you're someone like Dave Finney, established the way that you are, you don't have to do business with people you don't like. Right. And Dave is old school in a way where he's not going to determine that over the phone, definitely not over text or email. He's going to go down there and meet you by, like meet you face to face and have a dinner with you. And if he likes you, then we can totally figure something out. Um, and if he doesn't, then that's all it has to be. But he, for him, it is about the personal connections with people, I think. So they had a great connection. They had a wonderful day together, it sounds like. Uh, and I think where the name Digits comes from, you know, being an old school kind of guy that he is, uh, a handshake is a binding agreement for Dave. So mm-hmm. when they stood up from dinner and shook hands and said, people will have to draw up contracts and that's not going to be either of them, but that's going to get drawn up and that's going to happen, but we're going to make whiskey together. That's that. And the shake of the hands, that was, I think the moment that sealed it for Dave. And so, you know, Scotty, Scotty's a huge guy to anybody. Yeah. Right. And so right. he's got some massive hands <laughs> and, and hands that 
uh, and, and hymns that are, are central to his, you know, he made his career on working with those hands and playing basketball with them. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it helps if you can palm the whole basketball, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and I think I think the gravity of shaking hands with Scotty and sealing the deal there, and he is such a striking figure in that kind of way. And hands are so unique in that way that that's uh, that was a moment that Dave fixated on, and that was so special and impactful and sentimental to him. But that's why it was called Digits, um, and that's why Scotty's hands are the focus of the label. Very that's cool. really so, neat. Yeah. Um, so, so a cool, a cool kind of testament to who Dave is as a person. Um, yeah. And and obviously, it's a brand that's got to be, you know, Savage and Cook is focused on who Dave is. That's that is his brand, his brand alone. And of course, having the wine barrel finishes is going to be a central part to that. I'm sure we'll get to that. Um, but Digits is about Scotty, and so having it be and be the central focus makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that we make that one, uh, really interesting product for you to make. Uh, we'll get to the burning chair and how I make that. Um, not finishing wine barrels. That's not Scotty's identity. So it didn't make sense for that to be the identity of that product. Um, and we sat down with Scotty and we talked to him about what he likes in a whiskey and what he's looking to get out of a whiskey. So we sat down. Uh, I think Scotty be the first to admit that he's not a, a bourbon connoisseur, right? Uh, that that's not what he's been trained in. Uh, mm-hmm. Our jobs as distillers to uh, interpret kind of what you talk about and what you want. Um, so, of course, the first thing we want is a smooth whiskey, right? Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I'm going to give you a smooth yeah. whiskey. That's, uh, that's a given. <laughs> so we, we honed in a little bit past that. Uh, and, you know, we're really targeting a soft and an elegant kind of product. It's supposed to be subtle. It's supposed to be rich. It's supposed to be luscious in that kind of way, but definitely on the lighter delicate kind of side, they want to make a premium bourbon. So that's the direction that we want to go in. Um, in order to do that, I'm deliberately pulling from barrels kind of deep in the center of our warehouse where they're a little bit more insulated. Not getting nearly as big of a temperature swing, so they have a much softer impact of the wood. Uh, it's going to be a lot more subdued and more subtle, uh, which is the kind of whiskey side I wanted to make. And it's really interesting to pull from the same stock that I used to make Burning Chair, which I think is a really robust product. Having the cap barrel finish is a big part of that, but mm-hmm. deliberately pulling from totally different parts of the warehouse using the same stock. That just is a totally different kind of whiskey. Uh, we also filter it uh, with a really fine filtration at the end, right before bottling. So that has an impact as well. But using the same raw materials to blend two really different products has been a super interesting uh, experience for me. Uh, learning to utilize the tool set that I had in a totally different way for a totally different kind of product has been a really informative and growth opportunity personally for me getting to yeah. try and blend something that's so different um trying to make it as good but in a totally different kind of realm mm-hmm. spectrum but it's been mm-hmm. it's been a fun challenge it's always fun challenges for me <laughs> I bet. at the end of the day i get to drink the whiskey and that makes all the challenges fun yes <laughs> 
Um, okay, so before we we got some, I don't know if Justin already told you, but we had some listeners send in some questions. And before yeah. we get to those, um, what do you think about diving into the four whiskeys that you sent I've us? I've got them all set up in front of me. It would uh, right. be disingenuous for me to let you taste them without me tasting them with you. I, got, I love that. <laughs> I got to tell you, it was very hard not to open these as soon as they came. We have waited. <laughs> we have just been looking at them. Uh, like, we wanted to wait, wait for you before we tried. <laughs> uh, I should be fair and tell you that I've been doing market work all day, so I've been tasting these for since 10 in the morning. <laughs> and uh, just I've been sampling our... polite small sips. <laughs> sure. Just for our listeners, so that our listeners are aware, um, the four that we're going to be going over today, we have the Second Glance American Whiskey, Lip Service Straight Rye, the Burning Chair Bourbon, and the Manhattan Project, which I'm really excited about. Yes. <laughs> um, where would you like to start with those for us? Let's begin with the Second Glance. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I find that to be the best opener. I'll uh, toast you a visual cheer, a, a, a virtual, <laughs> excuse me, cheers. Yeah. Yes, cheers. cheers. <laughs> um, so as I mentioned, uh, with Savage and Cook being really built around Dave's identity, uh, having a wine barrel finish for all their three core products, uh, mm-hmm. it not only made a ton of sense from a marketing perspective, but I'm, I'm immensely grateful to this company that they never asked me to do anything to the whiskey that doesn't make it better. That's, uh, <laughs> that's why I like working for a small craft brand. Yeah. Macro brands still want to make the best product they can make, but I'm uh, I'm not really asked to compromise in making the best product that we have available. So right. the wine barrel finishes that we've chosen for all of them uh, really were chosen because they made the whiskey better. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd stand by that. It's uh, I, I, I really am grateful that I don't have to compromise very often. <laughs> for sure. uh, <laughs> As, as a pretty stubborn individual, I get to do things the right way uh, right. <laughs> as often as possible. Uh, so the second glance, American whiskey, uh, this is uh, definitely the most approachable out of our lineup. It's uh, American whiskey is a fun term. Uh, it was, it was a, a good category to enter. The primary aging is in ex-bourbon casks, so less assertive of a wood profile as you would and say a bourbon that has to be in the new chart oak. Um, so it's really letting that uh, high corn Nashville shine uh, on the palate. There's a lot of sweetness I get. Uh, for me, I get kind mm-hmm. of a hazelnut heaviness. Um, but that wine barrel finish, that was finished in the Zinfandel casks. So okay. I get a beautiful uh, aromatic profile from that one. That's nice and robust, uh, definitely mm-hmm. on the sweeter side, but kind of jammy. Uh, a lot more, a little bit of a tannic texture. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's now I'm not a a tasting connoisseur by any means. <laughs> um, I just I like to drink whiskey. Mm-hmm. But um, what really stood out to me as soon as I took a drink of this, it's got a really nice, pleasant, long finish. Like it hung around for a while, mm-hmm. but it's not like a, it's not a burn or anything. It's just it's a really nice, pleasant mm-hmm. finish. It to me, it's very sweet. It's yeah, very you get sweet. The sweetness. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. That that helps to make an approachable whiskey. I, uh, I like to say that I uh, I don't make whiskey. If you're making whiskey that's super challenging, then you're probably not making great whiskey. And and I'm someone <laughs> who likes challenging flavors. I love mezcal 
and absinthe and all the things that 50 percent of the population gives mm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but when i'm blending whiskey you know i want it to be good for everyone to enjoy whiskey connoisseurs mm. to people just getting into the category um when i met my partner uh, she was a vodka tonic drinker and i she drinks as much whiskey as i do these days well after work. <laughs> she doesn't get to drink whiskey at work. She, she has to be right. a human being. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is deliberately meant to be a really approachable whiskey. It's the one that I bring to parties. Uh, it's the one I give my grandma when she's in town. I admittedly have a super cool grandmother who would drink whiskey with me. <laughs> nice. Uh, she might take a little water with it, but she'll drink it. Yeah. Um, it, it's meant to be approachable. And on the sweeter side, I tend to drink it, uh, if not straight. Uh, I think it shines really well in a, in a highball style cocktail. Um, okay. It's uh, because it is a more subtle whiskey. Uh, I think you can get lost in a complicated cocktail. So certainly sure. an old fashioned would work. Um, but uh, I do what I, I do what I call the savage and coke with it. Yeah. Uh, there was a time where uh, people would come to the distillery. And we didn't have any tasting room staff yet. So I certainly gave a lot of tours to the general public at that point. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't often, uh, certainly not often admitted, uh, but, you know, one person in 30 might say, I like whiskey, but I drink it with Coke. And, you know, if you buy our whiskey and you drink it, then you're keeping me employed and I don't care how you drink it. I'm, I'm no yeah. purist by any means, you know, I, I believe that was one of the list of questions we'll probably get to. You know, with water, with ice, with Coke, if you're enjoying it, then you're drinking whiskey right. And I got nothing more to say on the matter. Mm-hmm. Um, if, I, if I'll say anything, uh, your cocktail is only as good as its worst ingredients. Uh, and the intention you set when consuming it uh, sort of sets up your night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like to take two ounces of the second glance I'll do a quarter ounce of Fernet, uh, which is a sort of eucalyptus-driven Amaro, uh, okay. two dashes of chocolate bitters, and then I like to use the glass bottle, pure cane sugar, Mexican Coke. Okay. I'll put that in a nice glass with a metal straw. I'll do a twist of lemon, put that on top, and it's still a whiskey and Coke. It's one of the more popular whiskey drinks for a reason. It's a great yeah. flavor combination, <laughs> uh, but elevating it just slightly uh, doesn't make it that complicated. Super easy to put together still. Not hard to remember the portions of it. It's just a splash of a couple other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this this spirit does really well with nice, simple things like that that can showcase what's nice about the spirit and sort of soft sweetness of it and pair yeah. that with a couple of small, interesting flavors keep things pretty simple it doesn't have to be complicated to be really easy to enjoy so yeah. i'm an advocate for that first and foremost for sure a little bit about the label just because that's an interesting one mm-hmm. I, I, yeah we're working in, a, in an audio medium <laughs> <laughs> but uh you've got a, a so it's called the second glance because the uh the label on this one it's a it's a man kind of you know straight on and then a little bit in profile like a mugshot um, it's based off of an Andy Warhol painting that Dave has a particular affinity to. But being a black and white image of the man in the skinny tie, it kind of looks like a tooth or like an x-ray of like the head of needle nose pliers. 
So, which now that I've said, now that it's in your head and you're like a Rorschach, <laughs> it's a blur in front of you. But the whiskey might have that effect too. Um, <laughs> so that's why it's called the second glance because it was a sort of ambiguous looking label um, where it could be interpreted in lots of sort of ways. So you know, take a second look at it to get a real picture of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of the bottles and the labels are really cool. Do you know why you guys decided to go with the glass stoppers? Because I, I think it's really cool. You don't see that in mm -hmm. many whiskeys at all, but I love the glass stoppers. Yeah, it's uh, so the Vino Seal is a product of the wine industry. It's mm -hmm. uh, you mostly see them on rose bottles, is my understanding. Okay. Um, what's funny about that is that they're really great resealable corks, but mm -hmm. I don't know if you're like me, but when I open them up, it might take me a little while to get through it, but it's definitely going to be consumed by the next day, if not <laughs> almost certainly tonight. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So having a great resealable container for, especially for rosé, you know, you got the, the sun is out, you're out with some friends out, you know, out on the lawn or on a porch, you're crushing through that bottle of rosé. You're going to open another one before you're going to put some away. <laughs> yeah. A uh, little tip for these though they're easier to open and push from the side okay pulling okay. them straight up uh i've i i like to put one down in the center of your party and watch someone try and rip it straight up because <laughs> it, it, it's got a real tight seal if you pull directly up mm -hmm. but if you apply just a little bit of leverage from the side they come off really easily okay so yeah, it's, i it's was in the kitchen in history Yep. Twisting, twisting. It doesn't. It doesn't yep. twist. It doesn't go anywhere. No. Stay right where it is. The more you spend it. <laughs> so now you know. It, it's not a thing you know. Once someone tells you, but once someone tells you, it seems so obvious. Yeah. It's a little yeah. bit of leverage in the right direction. <laughs> now that I've knocked off another top of the bottle, uh, you're ready to move on to the lip service. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I confess, is my favorite. Mm -hmm. Okay. I knocked that this has cap across the room. I'll go get it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I applied a little too much leverage. <laughs> That's very good. So as rye whiskeys go, uh, not a super aggressive rye. Uh, mm -hmm. The mash bill for this one is 51% rye, which is the legal minimum for rye. So okay. similar, similar rules for both rye whiskey and bourbon whiskey. Uh, minimum mash bill of 51% of the majority grains, so rye for rye and corn for bourbon. Mm -hmm. um, but similar requirements about, you know, the proof that you can distill it to, the proof that you're allowed to put it in barrel, being a new charred oak barrel that it has to go into. Those are the main four rules. Mm -hmm. uh, a question I get on tours, uh, there's, there's one in every group of 10. Uh, <laughs> how can I make bourbon outside of Kentucky? You can make it anywhere within the, within the United States. Uh, mm -hmm. Just just uh, American whiskey. Any any state can make it. Um, it's funny. Uh, there's there's as much bourbon being produced in Indiana as there is in Kentucky, but that that never impacts people's opinion on bourbon for some reason. Or Tennessee, right? Tennessee whiskey, frankly, is just bourbon with the maple charcoal, the the charcoal maple filtering added on all the other rules are basically the same tennessee whiskey's essentially bourbon with it's a specialized version of bourbon we'll mm -hmm. take that away from them but the was it the lawrenceburg process is essentially just one yeah. extra step on a bourbon more or less bourbon it. otherwise it's interesting you say that because we were listening to a podcast you know we're a football podcast one of my favorite mm -hmm. former players is jay cutler 
and I can't remember the distiller he was um, interviewing, but he mentioned, he said, Tennessee whiskey. I mean, it's basically bourbon. We're, we're just calling it Tennessee whiskey because there's a little slight variation. <laughs> and I found that interesting because I had I didn't know that before. Yeah, I, I, I don't begrudge them their extra step. They've got that maple, maple charcoal that they put it through. And that's, that mm-hmm. is one extra thing that differentiates it. But it's, it's more or less bourbon. It's just good marketing to call it Tennessee whiskey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have their own whole song now at this point. <laughs> True. <laughs> oh, this is very good. Um, it's very. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so 51% rye. Uh, I call it a bourbon drinker's rye. It's definitely, you know, if it's 51% rye, it's because it's 45% corn. It's almost there for to be a bourbon. It's kind of splits mm-hmm. the line right down the middle. Uh, this is my Swiss Army knife in my home. Uh, I use mm-hmm. this all over the place for lots of different things. Um, I, you know, obviously you guys are like old fashions, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a big cocktail guy myself. Uh, if straight whiskey is work, you know, I drink whiskey, uh, from seven in the morning on, we have the still going and I've got 140 proof new make whiskey coming over and it is my job and a couple others to taste that while it's coming over. It's a, it's a hard job. Someone's got to do <laughs> Right. I, I drink a lot of it. I spit a lot of it out at this point. I know what it tastes like, and I, yeah. Now, depending on the night before, I don't need to swallow that. Um, <laughs> but so when I get home, you know, I'm uh, I'm certainly not shy about using an ice cube, and I certainly like making a cocktail. I've I've always enjoyed making a cocktail. So uh, this is a super versatile spirit in that world, especially mm-hmm. your prohibition style cocktails that tend to lean on the sweeter end, old fashions, yeah. Manhattans. I'm a, I'm particularly partial to a Boulevardier, which is a Negroni with whiskey yeah. instead. Yes. We just had one of those um, for the first time a few months ago. Yeah, and very impressed. It's very good. <laughs> very good. They're, good. They're, they're they're great. Sort of right before dinner, kind of between an appetizer and an mm-hmm. entree. Yeah, it's kind of my favorite point time to have one. I uh, I do all the cooking in my house because I really enjoy cooking, mm-hmm. uh, and that's definitely the drink I like to have while I'm making dinner. Nice. Really stimulates the appetite. Plus, I like drinking while I cook. <laughs> right. We need to implement it, it, that. It, it, in the- right. <laughs> oh, it's it's a critical part of my process. It's how I call the muse <laughs> in the play. I, I, I don't cook with a plan. Uh, whatever comes out comes out. But there's a lot of things in the pantry, and a lot of things end up in there. Uh, I have to be very precise for work. So when I cook. Yeah. Five garlic cloves. Fuck it. Seven garlic cloves. We're chopping them up. They're going in the pot. (laughs) It's kind of how you cook. You don't go with the real plan. I don't use recipes. I kind of like this seasoning kind of sounds good to me with this or this spice. I I, I look at critical times and temperatures to make sure Uh that things are safe or they'll bake correctly uh, if I'm going to do something like that. But otherwise, let the news speak for me. So uh, the rye whiskey uh, is finished in French Grenache barrels. So it's got that uh, sort of balanced spice profile. Um, But then it's enveloped. uh, For me, the Grenache barrels lend this fullness of texture. Um, It's almost a creamy sensation on the palate, Um, which I think uh, I really like spicy rye whiskeys. That, that MGP recipe that we're all familiar with, that 95% rye, I really like that one because I think it's really good. Uh, this is certainly more subdued than that, uh, 
but having the garage barrel finish, I don't feel that it covers up that ride. I think that it envelops it and rounds around it, and it takes uh, some of the angularity away from that rye mm -hmm. spice characteristic yeah. so that people can approach that flavor profile without it being uh, as aggressive uh, or bullish. Um, I think that people who aren't already a fan of rye spice uh, think that it's easy to perceive that angularity as akin to alcohol heat, the ethanol burn, and mm -hmm. spicy rye can come, you know, right right at the beginning of the throat in mm -hmm. that same kind of way. Yeah. Uh, so having that Grenache finish um, rounds that out where you can taste it and appreciate the flavor of it without really getting the burn from that spice in that same way. Yeah. I'm glad you said it almost had kind of a, a thicker or creamy texture because sometimes, you know, when, when we're reading about the whiskeys, we read before we taste it. And I'm worried that maybe I'm just associating my brain with that because I read it. But as soon as I took that, I thought mm -hmm. that it felt a little thicker than, you know, like your American whiskey, it's thicker than that. And so yeah, I'm glad yeah. you said that after I thought it. I mean, I didn't say it, obviously, <laughs> but... <laughs> No, had you, had you said it before well, I tasted it, I definitely would have um, noticed. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you this way, uh, and I, I've kind of heard you say that already once today. Uh, tasting notes are so subjective. Uh, there is no right and wrong taste on it. Uh, whatever you perceive is what you perceive. We all have such different uh, sensory memories tied to things where I might get marshmallow and you might get coconut. And how, how you get that is so different. Um, but uh, no one can tell you what you do or don't taste. So there's no way to be right or wrong about it. It is what you perceive. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, refined whiskey drinking is not about who can pull plum versus raisins out of the tasting notes. It's about mm -hmm. sitting down and actively enjoying it. You know, if, if we wanted to just get drunk, we could do cold shots of vodka and we'd all achieve the same effects. <laughs> but sure. clearly we're drinking whiskey uh, which costs a little bit more and requires, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, has all, it has its own flavor to it. By definition, vodka is flavorless, right? We're choosing to drink a flavored product, uh, sitting down and thinking about it in general is all it takes to be an appreciator of whiskey. You don't have to have flowery adjectives. You don't have to have a refined, trained palate. Uh, what's that flavor is my favorite game to play. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I'm also not married to uh, talking about things in a way that <laughs> it's, it's occasionally my job to do it in a marketable way. But when I'm doing it personally, uh, one of my favorite things to do is to, uh, is to pull different childhood candies that I enjoyed and <laughs> things that it reminds me of. And that's usually an amalgamation of a couple different notes you could pick apart or Okay, yeah. caramel and nougat and things like mm -hmm. that. You can break it all down, peanut or whatever it is. But, you know, that's a Snickers bar. That's a Snickers bar. That's a Laffy Taffy banana. That's what that is. And that's, that's a couple of artificial flavors put together. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with that. And it should be a fun process. So, uh, yeah. so, 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 so my, all, all, all I'm saying is never be shy and, and, and speak confidently about what you get. Because uh, what you get is what you get, and there's nothing wrong about that, no matter what a connoisseur may tell you, which I, I think connoisseurs are better about these days. 
Yeah, I, I think I'm afraid if I was in your position, if I was in a room of people tasting it for the first time, I would make up a random like, oh, you should get this from that and see how many people agree with me. <laughs> just just for fun. I would I would like to mess with people. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'd be too, I, as much as I give that advice, I'd be too nervous that someone disagreed with me. Yeah, for sure. So I, I, I don't think I have any meetings with people that way. Uh, but yes, absolutely. Things are suggestive, and I, especially when I'm tasting with people, I try not to lead them immediately. Let them try things on their own and form their own opinions before I tell them what I taste. But what I taste, what I taste, uh, as, as as long as you like it, I'm a happy guy. Yeah, absolutely. It's, especially making three products, as long as someone likes at least one of them, I'm fully a happy guy. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So um, I assume burning chair is next. So that's the right? rye whiskey. Any other questions on that one? Yeah, that'll be next. Okay. Uh, uh, I don't have any so on the right view. No, it's very good. I like it. Yeah. A lot. Now we our first experience with burning chair. We found it um, at it was wall to wall, and it was a, a barrel select. And it was the one twenty six. I think it's yeah, yeah. one twenty six proof. Um, <laughs> so I'm excited to yeah. <laughs> this one and see how it's different. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so this will be our core product. That's that's only 88 proof, so uh, it'll be a little bit uh, easier to drink for sure. Yes. Um, <laughs> for me, I would prefer less proof. <laughs> um, I think we're going to get this to this in listener questions, but you know, when it comes to uh, to drinking cast drink whiskeys, I can do it. I yeah. appreciate what they are. When I try a new whiskey. I definitely try it at its full proof. And then I add a couple drops of water and yeah. add a couple more. And I add enough until I don't like it anymore. And that's how I figure out because each whiskey is different and my mood is different each time. I, mm-hmm. I'm going to want it more hot or less hot, or more flavor intense, or maybe perhaps a little bit subdued. But objectively, uh, the aromatics of the whiskey are more volatile in a slightly higher water content. Um, they're not as soluble, a lot of the aromatics in a high water mixture. So they become more volatile and you can actually smell and taste it a little bit better. Uh, now, if you leave castric whiskey in your mouth, your saliva will dilute it over time. Yeah. So you can get that full rise of experience when you're drinking castric whiskey. But if you're not interested in letting your saliva dilute the whiskey, then there's nothing wrong with just adding a couple drops of water to it up. Yeah. Well, the one thing I do like about the high proof is um, they hold up so well in cocktails. Um, that's kind of one of my favorite things. Like they they mm-hmm. stand out. So all of our core products, uh, the bourbon and the American whiskey, the bourbon chair and the second glance are 88 proof, and the lip service rye is at 90 proof. And they're deliberately slightly overproof, knowing that the majority of people don't drink their whiskey straight. Whiskey fans yeah. do, but the majority of whiskey consumers are not drinking their whiskey that way. And not only do we feel there's nothing wrong with it, but we've actively proofed it up a little bit so it can withstand that. So it's still going to be roughly 40 per, or 40% when they're drinking it that way, and they'll still get a full intensity of the expression after diluting it a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, this is very smooth. Mm-hmm. The burning chair is very smooth. Yeah. Now I'm a I'm a bourbon guy, so 
so far, I will say I, the, the others were very good, but this is probably my favorite because I, I just, I love that bourbon taste. Um, yeah, I, this is good. Mm -hmm. It's super smooth. Hey, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you gotta love some dead podcast here with, with people just sitting and drinking whiskey, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it is the challenge of drinking podcast. <laughs> we've, yeah, we've done that before where it's like, oh, what do you get from it? And we both take a drink, and then I'm like, all right, now there's some silence of people just listening to yep. us take a drink. <laughs> well, I hope people are drinking a lot. Yes, yeah. yes. We, we always encourage that, unless they're on their morning commute, because sometimes we're released late at night. Then we're like, <laughs> maybe you should wait. <laughs> You should at least get to work before you start drinking. Mm -hmm. Don't drink while driving. Yes. Exactly. Or, does everyone get to drink while they're at work? Is that just some microroots <laughs> that change my perspective? Yeah, unfortunately not. <laughs> Your work has a two-drink policy on lunch. You Mine, can get away yeah, with it. <laughs> I do have a my work has in their handbook. You can have two drinks at lunch. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we. Uh, we're certainly not allowed to operate company vehicles above the legal limit. I think sure. California uh, requires that you stay below 0 0.04 to operate a motor vehicle. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of booze industry in California, so they made an allowance for it. Um, that, that's certainly my understanding of the law. I'm not a lawyer. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> this is not a visible in court. <laughs> uh, but our, our handbook does say uh, you may over the course of your duties have to drink but you may not drink to excess okay. so it's it's all about Thank staying you. the line uh mm -hmm. and of course uh every now and then my role is more hospitality driven receive guests and mm -hmm. tour a distillery or do tastings with them and certainly get to join them in that but we do have a, a standing policy that the company will cover the uber home so oh. uh we do have a, we do have a set policy where i won't uh, drink and drive yeah. So if I'm going to drink, I'm certainly going to do so safely and responsibly. So I, I, yeah. I, I advocate for as much irresponsibility as possible without putting anyone at risk. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Now, um, I, I've only been to California twice, but you said you guys weren't too far from LA. Uh, we're not far from San Francisco. We're very oh, far from San Francisco. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, that is very northern California. Okay. More north. All right, yeah. More, yeah. It's, okay. it's super far. That's I, I, uh, I got fucked over in that Southwest debacle uh, where they canceled everyone's flights around uh, Christmas. Oh, yeah. And I, I have some family in San Diego. And so I drove uh, right after Christmas from San Diego to San Francisco. Uh, well, all the way north to Sacramento, which is even further, where I parked my car at the other airport. And I, uh, I won't do that again if I don't have to. It's yeah. a long drive. It's like an eight-hour drive on a straight, yeah, straight road. <laughs> Four and a half hours you can get from one side of Iowa where we are to the next. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be in Des Moines in a little while. Uh, my partner's family's kind of wedding coming up. I'll, I'll be in Des Moines. Oh, really? Oh. Very cool. It'll be my first time in Iowa. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Des Moines is neat. And we're just, we're 25 minutes from Des Moines. Yep. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to give you a ring when I'm in town. Yes, you, yeah, should. you should. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, the reason I asked about LA are so we our podcast is under the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, and they have a studio in LA. Um, that's where oh, like okay. the crew is. But mm -hmm. I'll have to send them on a road trip down to you guys sometime. Say go down there. Absolutely, and yes. we'll have to come with them. Yeah, I, I'd love sure. to roll the red carpet out for you. Yeah. <laughs> now, the last time I was in California, I broke my ankle. You did? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> we, we were 
Uh, just quick funny story. We were, we were up in Oregon. We popped down to California to see the Redwoods because we'd never seen them. A buddy of mine wanted a picture of me hugging one, so I went and hugged yes, one. You I mean, you should right. you should not have climbed it. Um, and you know how <laughs> big their root karma. systems are. So I'm climbing <laughs> down, and I think, oh, that looks flat. I jumped down, and it was not flat. <laughs> I landed right on a root and rolled my ankle. And yeah, that was a fun experience. Oh. <laughs> It was, oh, man. And it was in such slow motion, too. But you really <laughs> messed up your foot and ankle. <laughs> so I had to have a lot of whiskey that day. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> Thankfully, there's medicine for that. It's, and it's whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Real quick, before we get to the Manhattan Project, we've also reviewed the um, bad, sweater bad Sweater on our podcast. Oh, great. Yeah. That one's a favorite of mine. Yeah. So, so the spices in that is... And Miranda really did her unique. own kind of um, old-fashioned recipe that you called sweater weather because it was yep. it was perfect <laughs> when it's cold. I, 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 I believe I heard that segment actually. Yeah, yes. yep. yeah, yeah. Um, Very good in an old-fashioned, especially used brown sugar. I use blackstrap bitters. I've found I really like blackstrap okay. bitters. I know that one. Yeah. Um, and we used a what kind of cherry was that? I did put a cherry in it. Uh, not supposed to cherry an old fashioned. I know, but I did this one because it was a, one of the really dark cherries. Right. Yeah, and then yeah. my did, orange did, did, peel. Did, 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 did the maraschino Luxardo style cherry? Luxardo, wasn't it? Or no, no Ber- it starts with a B. What's the B? Bordeaux? No. Bordeaux. Oh, it was a Bordeaux. Bur- yeah, Bordeaux cherry, I believe. Oh, I don't think I'm familiar with that. Maybe. Is that a cherry? cherry? Is that yeah. okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like yeah. second guessing myself. <laughs> Possibly, but it, it was, was a dark cherry. <laughs> it was perfect for an Iowa winter. I will say mm-hmm. that. Yeah, we like, had it, it in the winter. All the spices in um, bad sweater. I mean, it was just it was kind of a warming feel. Mm-hmm. I uh, I do a lot of hot toddies with bad sweater. Ooh, I bet that would be good. It's, it's got be. all the things in it, and maybe you put a lemon peel in there. Mm-hmm. Squeeze a lemon, maybe some honey, because it's particularly sweet on its own, and that's that's a hot toddy ready to go. Just topping up I was, water and keep going. I was very um, sick with a, a bad cold during uh-huh. uh, New Year's Eve, and I used burning chair because I always read you're supposed to use something with higher proof. So I used the barrel select one because it's higher yeah. proof. <laughs> and I I told friends and family, I said, I know it sounds crazy, but I swear by it. I swear it did make me feel better. Maybe it was just the whiskey. It, 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 I don't know, but <laughs> it, 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 it's going to purge the humors from the body. <laughs> right. Some old, old medicine right there. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, the, the, the bat sweater was a particularly fun project to work on. Uh, we've, we've kind of tweaked it every year uh, since we put yeah. it out. But you know, when when they we've originally decided we were going to do a spiced holiday whiskey. You know, uh, it's kind of a good segue into the Manhattan Project where uh, there's a lot of well-funded marketing teams doing sweet products in those categories, right? There's, there's mm-hmm. We can think of all, we can all think of one spiced holiday whiskey that has a great marketing team, right? <laughs> um, I was never going to outcompete them in marketing dollars. We were never going to get the kind of placement as that. I wanted to create a spiced holiday themed whiskey that satisfied a real whiskey drinkers itch mm-hmm. for that kind of product. Um, it's, it's a funny thing where, you know, I'll have it, especially around the holidays and uh, <laughs> whiskey drinkers will come and they'll 
I'll be doing a tasting and like, yeah, I'm good, man. It's like, no, you should try it because it is good. Mm -hmm. I, I know that when I say flavored spice whiskey, people get reluctant, but you know, it's flavored with real dried botanicals. It's mm -hmm. minimally sweetened with brown sugar. It's funny. It's a, uh, it's a really prominent uh, part of the label that it's brown sugar and spice whiskey. What is it? It's uh, it's six pounds of brown sugar in uh, 1,250 gallons is the recipe. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's nothing. It's a handful of right. It's a handful of sugar into a tank. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, whiskey is kind of sweet on its own and things like vanilla and spices that are in it, cacao nibs, have their own sweetness to them. So I, honestly, I tried the recipe without any sugar for a while and conceded it needed just a little bit. Um, in the same way, uh, I've been known to put a little whiskey in my coffee. Yeah, I tend to drink my straight coffee black uh, and certainly plenty of neat whiskey. Uh, but when I marry the two together, it just needs a little cream. Uh, the two flavors are somewhat disjointed if you don't bridge them just a little bit. And so the spiced whiskey required just a little bit of sugar to marry the botanicals with the whiskey. But the whiskey was supposed to be the focus. So that's the whole point yeah. of that sweater, that whiskey's the focus. Well, I've had other um, spiced whiskey, and I can tell you that yours is way better in my opinion. It's, it's very good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I, I was just trying to make a product that was honest to the whiskey that is the base. And that was what yeah. was important mm -hmm. to me on that one. And so it was a fun project to work on. Uh, myself and the master distiller had a lot of fun putting that together. Sure. Um, to that end, uh, that kind of leads us in a nice segue uh, into the uh, Manhattan. Uh, I'll, I will note about the burning chair. I'm not sure I mentioned that's finished in uh, Cabernet Barrels. Cabernet, okay. Um, that's why it has that nice sort of dry finish before we move on from that one. I think that's really a nice feature of that one. It's a four-year-old bourbon. Um, I think it punches well above its sort of age class. Yeah. Those cat barrels have a really draw that lingering finish out. For sure. So moving on from that, uh, I actually put it in the uh, hotel minibar fridge. Uh, that's kind of <laughs> how I recommend serving it. Uh, do you have a cold bottle or perhaps some ice? To have the Manhattan Project, we we had them pre-iced. <laughs> we okay. did. I did. Well, we took the yeah. ice out. We didn't know if we should have it just neat or if we should have it on ice. But we started but, it on ice and then poured it into a different glass because we're like, well, wait, maybe we want to have it neat. Yeah. I don't know. Um, okay. But our glasses are cold. Yeah. They are cold here. My, yeah, that, my that's, pro that's, with, that's probably just fine. Yeah, mm -hmm. my concern with the with icing it is after we got through our questions and this being the last on our tasting, I assumed anyways, I was afraid it'd be too watered down. So that's why we decided to take the that's ice out. That's probably fair. So I I personally keep mine in the freezer at home and I just okay. serve it that way. Uh, you can certainly pour it over ice if it's starting warm. It doesn't necessarily need dilution. It just needs, you know, Manhattan needs to be called this cocktail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yes. To have wine and whiskey together, it can be a tough combination, but with just a little bit of chill, they work really nicely together. Yeah. So um, the Manhattan Project is our third iteration in the RTD space. Um, Ready-to-drink cocktails have uh, certainly had a big surge in popularity within the United States. Um, yeah. Definitely a byproduct of the pandemic where people were at home and Wanted to have restaurant-style cocktails that they missed. It's funny. Uh, 
in the last three years, people have gotten much more educated about what they like or don't like about their cocktails. And yeah. I, I find an informed audience to be my favorite audience to uh, produce <laughs> for because they, they, they're starting to like all the things that I like. Yeah. This is very, um, very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, I'm definitely the cocktail person uh, mm-hmm. on our production staff. So doing this recipe is uh, definitely as close as I can put out in a bottle to what you would get if you came to my home from Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, and that was very much the point and the ethos around it. We use the same base as we do uh, for the rye whiskey for the love service. And then it's two parts of that. Uh, one part are sweet vermouth. Uh, we're so sourcing from a, a local producer near us in Sonoma, uh, Rockwell Vermouth, uh, based in Santa Rosa now. The uh, owner and producer, Burke, is a friend of mine, and he makes a really top-notch local vermouth. Uh, I've, uh, I've done my own vermouth uh, in the past, uh, myself and Jordan, uh, had a really fun time experimenting with making vermouth. Uh, pretty happy with what we made, but that is not our bread and butter. We are not set up to make <laughs> that at a professional scale. So mm-hmm. it was way, way more consistent products to source from a local producer, supports a local brand that I appreciate. I'm friends with the guy already. I'm happy with the integrity of his product. He's hand forging botanicals in the California wow. hillsides. Uh, he makes a really cool vermouth, Rockwell vermouth, again, is the name of that. Okay. So cool. one part that, uh, you know, uh, Manhattan's a little bit, and uh, and more martinis have this weird, there's a weird stigma of vermouth, I think born of unrefrigerated and super oxidized vermouth, but uh, people minimizing how much vermouth is in their up cocktails that feature vermouth. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe in using fresh vermouth that's been kept cold, you know, Used within a month of being opened and kept in the refrigerator the whole time. Uh, and if that's the case, I want to have a vermouth forward cocktail. That's the whole point of ordering in Manhattan. Otherwise, just drink your whiskey neat. If you don't like vermouth, don't drink vermouth. Yeah. Uh, so, so, two, so two to one whiskey to vermouth is the ratio. And then uh, I had a really awesome time um, together as a team. We worked uh, to create our own bitters recipe. I believe there's 23 different botanicals in there. Uh, wow. And it was a really, I made a 55 gallon drum of bitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you better believe that my home cocktail bar has uh, Dasher bottles of bitters. Of the yeah. <laughs> I'm using nice. a lot of that now. It's, so that's, those are the only three ingredients. The same base whiskey that makes up the lip service, uh, the Rockwell vermouth and some house made bitters. And it is meant to be a cocktail like you would expect to have at your favorite local restaurant and your favorite cocktail bar. This is definitely, it's really good. Yeah, I haven't great. had a Manhattan in a long time. This is really good. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. We're going to have to make our name to Manhattan football. <laughs> <laughs> There's no reason you can't mix it up. You, you, you can do a special thing for the Super Bowl every year. And there you go. go to a classier Manhattan or something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, this is, um, we've had a lot of different of the ready-to-drink type things, and a lot of them they're they're too sweet or they they they're just not quite like you order from a restaurant mm-hmm. so for any of our listeners if you're looking for something that does taste like you've ordered from a restaurant this i think is... you you hit it right on the head here this is really really good mm-hmm. thank you uh we did a we when we first entered this space uh we did a 
It was a fun day. It was a day I Ubered home from work. <laughs> we, uh, we, we sat down in our conference room. We have a distillery, beautiful space that Dave constructed. And we tried uh, every RTD we could find. Everyone's job that week was to go home to your local liquor store and buy all the RTDs that they have available. We were going to get a sense of what the market is. And there were a couple that were not just egregiously saccharine, which I think a lot of people like, and there's a reason that people make products that way, uh, but, but sort of segue deliberately out of the best way to do this, because that was kind of the same idea, where if you want something that's super sweet, that product is already out there in the market, and we all know what it is. Yeah. But if you want something that's a little bit on the drier side and more spirit forward and focused, and or what you might expect to get in a nice cocktail bar, then that's a space that has some room for us to enter. And so that's that made sense for us to make that kind of product. And in truth, that's a product I'm much happier to be making. Yeah, for yes. sure. Well, this is definitely good. I'm going to have to, my grandma loves Manhattan's grandma and I'm, we're going to have to share this with her yes. <laughs> or get great. her a bottle. We're just going to need to get her a bottle. Get her a bottle. I think so. Yeah. Yes. Your mom if, loves if I am in my, if I am in my home bar, I do like to serve it with an orange peel. Okay. That, okay. You know, I, I, again, about setting intentions when you're having a cocktail. I, I am someone who garnishes their drinks when I'm at home by myself having a cocktail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yep. it it sets my intention to the drink. It's uh, it's my reminder that I'm there to appreciate the drink and not just tip it right back. Yes. <laughs> right. Yep. All right. It, it, it is it's a visual indicator of mm-hmm. you know, respect and appreciation for the cocktail. For sure. You said that um, this is one of, did you say this is one of three like ready-made ones? This is the third iteration. We did a uh, blood orange flavored vermouth and we did a Negroni previously uh, under the homeschool label. They came in a four pack. Um, Some of them, they're they're still out there in the market. We probably won't produce them again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Having a sealable container is helpful. I I call the... uh, especially the Manhattan, the, the blood orange Manhattan was 70 proof and a 200 milliliter crown cap glass bottle, like a little beer cap. Yeah. Uh, I called them hand grenades. <laughs> <laughs> 200 milliliters of 70 proof Manhattan is a lot to have as one person. Uh, yeah. Two of them is too much. <laughs> it's like a half bottle of whiskey you're drinking, which as oh my I have a distiller's tolerance for booze. Uh, and even I, Shouldn't have two of them at a sitting. I should stand up and walk around. I, I actually, uh, being the California distiller, I described uh, opening just one of them. I said, treat it like an edible. Uh, have half. See how you feel. Maybe split it with someone. Definitely don't <laughs> open another one until it hit you all the way. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's a rookie mistake. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> For sure. So um, this, well, this is a this is a much more reasonable format to serve it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be a full sure. 750 mil bottle, but with a flip top seal on it, so it's yeah can sit in your fridge for. Uh, I mean, at at 60 proof, uh, you know, I advise you refrigerate your as a PSA to anyone out there. Mm-hmm. Please refrigerate your vermouth because it will it is a wine product and it will spoil eventually. Not as fast as table wine, but you know. At, 18, 19%, it's still going to spoil eventually. This at 30% ABV is a little bit more shelf stable, but certainly better out of the fridge. Uh, but we'll sit on your shelf 
sealed indefinitely. I don't want to say indefinitely, but for a long, long time. Uh, certainly as fast as you you'll drink it, uh, and then can sit in your fridge for comfortably months. But I I'm pretty confident that once it's open in your fridge, you're drinking a lot it, faster. It will be gone. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I was even thinking about when um, we're done with this, and I'm doing the audio um, producing. I'm going to need a little bit more. So yes. just so you know. <laughs> absolutely. That's uh, that's how I do all my best work. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, while we finish it. Um, we had some listener questions that if you don't mind, we're going to run by you. Absolutely. Okay. Um, from our longtime listener, so far, longtime listener, yeah, so far. <laughs> Zach, he wanted to know how does one get involved and started in distilling and what is the path like to make it all the way up to head distiller or master distiller? And I know you kind of talked about sure. all of that, a little bit of that. Yeah. But if, if anyone, like, if, if I wanted to go and just get involved in distilling, <laughs> what would be the path for me to get there? Yeah. Um, certainly, you know, I, I took a, an academic route into what I'm doing, certainly intended to. I uh, went to school for it at Harriet Watt University. She mentioned at the top. I'm not sure that I said uh, is where I studied. It's the, it's the only university that I know that gives an accredited master's of science in brewing and distillation. Um, in, in truth, that wasn't a necessary step. Uh, you can be a very good distiller or brewer without doing any formal schooling in it. Um, it was a good transition from the sort of engineering track that I was already on, so it made a lot of sense for me. In, in truth, I learned best in applied fashions anyways, so uh, I've, I've learned more in the first year of being a distiller than I did from reading textbooks. Um, it is kind of an apprenticeship kind of gig. It, it is a train in that sense. Um, I've had the good fortune to have a really awesome mentor. Again, his name's Jordan Vines. Just an absolute fountain of knowledge and has been... You know, I, I try and be as open of a book as I can be with the knowledge that I have because uh, I've had the benefit of having an awesome mentor who keeps nothing from me is always uh, quick to share information that will help me be a better distiller because that helps us make a better product. Um, so finding a good mentor like that is pretty key. Uh, your local craft distillery is probably the quickest way into it. Uh, if you happen to live near a Jim Beam or something like that, if you're, if you're in Kentucky on the Bourbon Trail, uh, I imagine they're probably hiring on their bottling line. That's often how people kind of work their way through. It's, it's your it's a foothold into the door, um, but that's certainly a long path up. There's there's a lot of people who want to be head distiller, um, and they, they they once you get to be head distiller, you tend to stay somewhere for a long time. So uh, it, it is a uh, it's a very non traditional path to it. And it Either way, it's a non-traditional career field, and you kind of have to find your own non-traditional path to that. But learning everything that you can, finding good mentors in the industry is, I think, a really important part. Uh, it is, uh, to its credit, uh, an industry where we're all very passionate about what we do. It's a hard job. Uh, it's a job mm -hmm. we all love. You you couldn't do it if you didn't love it. It would be utterly exhausting otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> So I 
think uh, certainly all the interactions I've had, uh, anyone who does anything remotely close to what I do is uh, always happy to share. Uh, unfortunately, lots of people think it sounds like a pretty cool job. So it is, it's a, a, it's a competitive field in that sense. Uh, mm-hmm. sure. uh, our, our newest hire, David Link, our uh, operations manager, did about six months of interning for free. Because uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't say no to that. And then he was so good when he showed up that we couldn't not hire him afterwards. He, uh, he's, a, he's a real heavy hitter. He's a, he solves any problem we put in front of him. So nice. being indispensable and being willing to do anything that needs to do that needs to be done. That's uh, that's how I've come at it, and that's how I would go about it. So, around that question, this is not an easy answer to the question. That's sure. Oh, yeah. Right. That's how we've done it. <laughs> yeah. All right. This one is from our listener, Paul. Now, he he thought he knew this answer, but he said, can whiskey or scotch get better with time? He was assuming no, but he's always wondered, does that aging process stop at the bottling? So one of the beautiful things about spirits is that uh, a bottle of spirits is a snapshot in time. So when that bottle is sealed, it will sit and be what it's going to be indefinitely it is okay shelf stable in that way now uh, i've had the good fortune of trying uh some dusties as the the whiskey uh, fans like to call them yeah uh what's interesting about trying an old bottle is that you know especially you hit periods in time where it's a boom and bust industry whiskey and because it's so slow to change because you have to lay down whiskey and wait so long when times are good in the whiskey world, people are laying the shit ton of whiskey down. And then mm-hmm. as demand for it dips, then all of a sudden whiskey gets great because, you know, people didn't ask for it. So you let your six year old whiskey become eight year old whiskey. And then that became 12 year old whiskey. And all of a sudden you have a ton of older stock to work with and you can blend some really awesome whiskeys that way. And so that's what's cool about trying an old dusty bottle is that maybe it comes from an era where wild turkey was just throwing old barrels into base level product because they had a ton sitting around and they could make the product better. And there, was, there wasn't demand for it such where they could sell that for $300 a bottle like they could now. So it's an 18 yeah. year old wild turkey one actually costs, but speculating wildly. <laughs> so that's, that, that's what's cool about trying an old label of something mm-hmm. is that it's a snapshot of that period of time where uh, they were making their blend in perhaps a different way and it's interesting from a historical perspective I, I will note that when your bottle is open and, and I implore you please if you've got a cool bottle of whiskey open that shit yeah. <laughs> don't sit on them Drink them, share them with your friends. You know, special bottles uh, merit respect and uh, appreciation. But uh, as a producer, uh, the way you can best appreciate it is not by sitting and taking pictures for Reddit and, <laughs> and sitting on empty bottles. Open them, drink them, and share them with your friends. But if you do have a cool old dusty bottle like that, uh, what's cool about it is that it's a different period of time. Not that it's matured it doesn't it will if you get down to the last like third of it it'll oxidize a little bit over a couple yeah. months 
you're not in a rush to drink it. You don't have to refrigerate it. It'll lose some of its intensity. It'll oxidize a little bit, but like in the production process, I don't, it's not like I top my barrels up. I deliberately want barrels of whiskey to oxidize. That's mm-hmm. something that I do on purpose in, okay. in the process. It's why the angel share is something we accept because yeah. as whiskey mm-hmm. evaporates, it leaves space for oxygen to ingress into the barrel and that helps develop the whiskey. Once it's bottled, it'll diminish some of the intensity. It's not necessarily going to get better, but it's going to get softer. Mm-hmm. Probably the best way to put it, but you're pretty safe. You know, more than a third full probably last for a year, year and a half without really changing too significantly. Yeah. Um, and then when you get to that last bit, if, if you're holding on to a thimble full of whiskey in a real special bottle, drink that shit tonight. <laughs> right. it's, it's not getting any better uh, uh-huh. it will oxidize a little bit it's losing some of its intensity you should drink it today today's a good a day as any we will be released on Whiskey Wednesday is that correct? yeah yep. No. Yep. it's Whiskey Wednesday you've got one swallow of some cool whiskey you've been saving for a long time drink that tonight now is the time <laughs> now is the um, time it's not, it's not getting better it's interesting you mentioned the dusty bottles because so on April 2nd, my parents came over for my for my birthday, your birthday. We kind of had a birthday celebration, my dad's birthday. And they brought some bottles. Triple that birthday. I guess, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, they bought, brought some bottles that I guess were my grandpa's that I didn't even know they had. Yeah. I don't remember what one of them was, but the other was Ezra Brooks 12-year from 1972. It's sealed. It's unopened. Um, it's in a it's in a special collector edition bottle. But um, uh-huh. I'm very in, I'm very interested to crack that open and try it. See what it's like. Especially hearing you now say like that's, it's going to be exactly how they produced it. Basically, it's it didn't age or change yeah. in time. It is how it was. You know, if it's not been sealed, it's possible that it's oxidized over time. But if the seal is mm-hmm. still good, then it is actively a snapshot of time that is what is so cool that I, I i don't mean to say that dusty bottles are not cool they are a very cool thing to try because mm-hmm. it represents a distillery of a certain era and a different kind of style of production those, those things do drift over time my job is consistency and i try and make my product as consistent as i can but yeah. whiskey will drift as demand drifts and the distiller's job is to make the best whiskey they can Mm-hmm. Uh, at any given point in time, uh, but that will change over time as your resources change. So that that'll be a totally cool thing to try. Yeah, for sure. Maybe, yes. maybe we'll. Have so so again, that. I'll be in Iowa. I was just gonna. Ago. say Yeah, I, I think that's, that's exactly, where you're gonna go. That's exactly where I was going. I said maybe. Um, you know, you're gonna be in Des Moines, so maybe we, we're we'll gonna have to bring that. that to you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, uh, I'll come to you. I'll <laughs> <laughs> <you> over out. <laughs> All right, from an, um, our listener John, he would like to know how do you prefer your whiskey, and what's your favorite cocktail with whiskey. Cool. So, uh, as I think I said before, I'm I'm so not a purist. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, uh, I I like whiskey neat. I like whiskey with a couple drops of water. Since I spent a year and a half in Scotland, I think the Scots are better with adding a couple drops of water to help things open up. So I, I, I tend to lean in that direction if I'm drinking even neat whiskey, a couple drops of water. Uh, I'll try it as it is but I tend to prefer it with a couple drops in it. I, uh, okay. 
I, I call them proof queens. <laughs> so it was a little, it's deliberately a little disparaging. I don't offend anybody. But uh, I'm, I'm not seeking the hottest whiskey I can find. I, I drink it at 140 proof all day long. I've long since had anything to prove. <laughs> right. That's not the kind of guy I am. A little opened up, I think, works best for me. But if that's how you like it, I think you're kind of like the same guy who does as many shapes of hot sauce as he can on his wings. <laughs> you, you, you're kind of doing the same bit. <laughs> but if that's how you insist you like it, then, again, if, if it makes you happy, then I'm a happy guy. But uh, I, I don't have a perfect pour. It's, it's more a mood that shifts throughout the day. I have the good fortune of being able to drink throughout most days. So uh, that that mood will shift. I, I like it neat. Yeah. I like it with ice. I certainly prefer a big ice cube that melts slowly. Really watery whiskey I've got no desire for. And, and yeah. mm-hmm. chunked whiskey, chunked ice cubes uh, certainly melt faster. But uh, I'm not above ice, and I really love to make cocktails. It depends on how hot it is. depends on how many barrels I moved that day. If I've come back from a more of a sales kind of day, then I'm, I'm not sweaty and in desire of a really cool one. I'm like a stiffer one after a day like that. But after a day of doing some heavy manual labor, a nice cold whiskey is uh, pretty desirable. Uh, in terms of cocktails, I've got a lot of favorites. Uh, <laughs> it's real tough to narrow it down. The Sazerac's certainly one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly because I can make my own absinthe, which is yeah. what I keep in the spritzer. <laughs> I, uh, I, we don't make any at Savage and Cook. Uh, I've, uh, I've certainly filled up the uh, bottles in the tasting room. They have their own spritzers to make Sazerac's in-house. So I keep us locally supplied, and I, I keep my home bar full of that. Um, nice. So I like to make Sazeracs with our rye and my absinthe. Haven't figured out my own Peychaud's recipe, but I'm certainly working on it. But besides that, I like to do a 50-50 blend of uh, the lip service rye and uh, Chinar is an Amaro. Uh, okay. Actually, this is a good one for you guys. Uh, I think about it as, uh, you know, if you're a fancy chef having a deconstructed meal, it's a big thing in fine dining. I think about this cocktail as a reconstructed, old-fashioned. So okay. think about the simple ingredients of an old-fashioned. It's already pretty fucking simple. Yeah, <laughs> right. taking taking whiskey, sugar, and bitters, and amaro is simply bitters and sugar. It's it's just a potable bitters is how they describe it. Instead of uh, Angostura bitters is considered an, uh, a non-potable bitters uh, in the okay. sense that no one would drink just straight Angostura willingly. Because uh, it's so bitter and intense. Now, if you've had a Trinidad sour, that would uh, uh, alter that definition. You do, I think it's uh, three quarters of an ounce of just straight up Angostura bitters. It's a delicious cocktail that I recommend. <laughs> so, they are relatively potable, but I have a taste for bitter things. Uh, but to focus that back in, uh, I think about Amaro, uh, which are potable bitters. Uh, Chinar is a particular favorite of mine, uh, art, an artichoke-based tomorrow. Uh, so I do a 50-50 pour of lip service and Chinar. That is my get home, get a big ice cube, long day at work, 50-50, easy mix, pour up a big glass of that, maybe take it into the shower with me. Um, it's based uh, around a cocktail uh, 
similar kind of makeup called a Ferrari cocktail. It's a equal parts Fernet and Campari. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the name Ferrari. Uh, yeah. And and I saw the movie years after it had come out, but I was drinking a Ferrari cocktail uh, watching Ford versus Ferrari, that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, and I had already made this drink and I went, oh, same bit. I'm calling that one a Ford. <laughs> so I call it a Ford cocktail. <laughs> I like it. Uh, so that's that's probably the one I make most often uh, with whiskey. Okay. Other than that, a paper plane is a is a pretty close second favorite. Uh, I, I use the bourbon for that. Uh, we do a variation at the distillery because we're on an old historical naval base. We just have yeah. a big industrial cranes, so we do a paper crane cocktail. Okay. Uh, so that's uh, equal parts. Bourbon, lemon juice, Aperol. Traditionally, it calls for Amaro Donina. Uh, I actually prefer Amaro Montenegro. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in our version, instead of one to one to one to one equal parts, we do two parts bourbon because we make the bourbon and our margins on the great. Because we're giving it to ourselves. So we're able to pour that as two parts bourbon. <laughs> it's a bigger feature. So yeah. I, I make that and, one a lot too. Yeah. And one last question from John. I'll uh, say that I'm giving him two questions because he is my boss's boss at work, but he's also a listener. <laughs> um, do you have a bizarre and we thank way? Thank you, John. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> do you have a bizarre way you've heard of people going about getting what they think is like the perfect pour? Yeah. I think I touched on that a little bit already. When I think about a, trying a new whiskey, um, I definitely, I always try it as it is, yeah. as it's served in the bottle. Um, as a distiller, I, I wouldn't let something leave our production facility uh, and not be palatable as it is, right? Mm-hmm. It needs to be improperly blended if you can't just drink it as it is. It might be a little hot if it's a cast strength single barrel, but I, I want to be at least happy with it understanding that it's high proof in, this, in that case. Um, but it should have a balanced flavor profile as it is. Yeah. When I'm trying anything new, I do have a slow dilution process where I try it straight when I add some water, when I added some more until it's not good anymore. So I have mm-hmm. a sense of where I like it best and I'll probably try it over ice next and I'll have an opinion on that whiskey then informed by trying it all sorts of ways. So I will, I will feel out new products when I, mm-hmm. as I, I, I'm a whiskey distiller professionally, but I'm a whiskey fan first. Right. So yeah. my favorite day is when I get a new bottle of whiskey and I get to take it home, I get to try it out and evaluate it. So I, I love to take a new bottle home and give that a try. Um, for example, the, the Jack Daniels single barrels, or some mm-hmm. really interesting whiskeys, you know, you know, bit of a punchline of a, of a product, right? Standard <laughs> Jack Daniels, which uh, as someone who's an appreciation for um, process integrity and consistency, basic Jack Daniels, if I'm at your home and you've got nothing else to offer me, but some base Jack Daniels on ice, I'm still a happy guy. That's not a bad product. Yeah. I find it to be a relatively boring product. Uh, I don't find it super interesting, but they do a really good job of making a consistent product, and I can't fault it as a bad whiskey. Right. Uh, it's just not the most interesting whiskey on the market. Uh, but some of their specialty releases have been great. 
that have a lot of interesting things and nuance to them. Their single barrel uh, production in particular, I found some really interesting ones, but they can be hot. So those ones I feel merit at least a couple drops of water, but usually add a fair amount to those ones. And then I really like them. I find them to be really good products. But so in answer to a perfect pour, it depends on my mood for sure, but it also depends on the whiskey and it's going to be, it's going to be different for every product. Um, yeah. It's going to vary with mood. It's going to vary with what I'm drinking and how I'm drinking it and what kind of day it's been. If it's hot outside or cold outside or from in the fire. There are a few situations in my life that I feel like are not, uh, made better with the proper drink. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Uh, but but each of those moments requires a different kind of drink, and every drink has its time and place. And, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not above a long or beer, especially in the shower after a long day. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, and I'm not a Jack Daniels or a Jim Beam. Those those are good products for what they are. More of an old Overholtz and uh, old Granddad coming out. But uh, you know, I'm I'm king of the middle shelf. I I, I like some of those good middle shelf whiskeys. And I. I do my best to be uh, as as current on the whiskey industry as I can be. I, I call that market research as part of my job. There you go. <laughs> it's a it's a perk. It's a perk. <laughs> perk to your job. Uh, well, <laughs> I got a lot of perks in my job. Yeah. <laughs> so, One of the many perks. Well, Dylan, I I want to thank you so much for your time and for letting us bombard you with all these questions. <laughs> oh, but, it's uh, my pleasure to talk about whiskey. Yes. For our listeners, you can find more information on Savage and Cook at savageandcook.com. You can visit the distillery if you're in California, in Vallejo, California. Try their whiskey. If your store near you doesn't sell any of the Savage and Cook whiskeys, definitely ask if they can get it. And again, Dylan, thank you so much for joining us and answering our many questions. Is there anything else you want to add before we let you get back to your day. <laughs> I, I, I will add, if you're going to come to the distillery, we uh, Thursday mm-hmm. through Sunday, our fried chicken food truck is open. We have oh, our own okay. dedicated food truck and restaurant. We have a full nice. cocktail bar and fried chicken. So fried chicken and whiskey is a combination everyone hates, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a real hard sell. Uh, it's, it's great. They do a really awesome job. And boy, we have a real hospitality focus uh, when people come to visit. So... I, whiskey's good anywhere, but uh, if you mm-hmm. can come to where it's made, uh, we've, uh, we've cultivated it to be just so to welcome people to it. So I, I, I do encourage people to come out. I love visitors. For sure. And you can find Savage and Cook on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram. And you can find Dylan at the Whiskey Jesus. I love that name. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I, I have to confess, my parents gave me that nickname really? years and years ago. Yeah, it may have been an attempt to get me to drink less and cut my hair, uh, but obviously neither <laughs> of those worked. <laughs> right. <laughs> my my, my mom gets credit for 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 calling that. She called that nice. shot a long time ago, and I Love leaned it. heavy into the brand. <laughs> Love it. Well, again, thank you so much. Yeah, the whiskey Jesus. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate your your insight. We appreciate letting us taste Savage and Cook's products yes. because. 
they are phenomenal in my mm -hmm. opinion. Not just saying that because you're here either. I, I, They're, those bottles are not going to last very long. No, <laughs> and we're going to be I, I sharing them. We're going to be sharing yeah. them with our friends and family. Yes. I know they're anxious. Yeah, because we bragged about it. We bragged about all these bottles that were sent to us, and we we're going to try with you. And we have friends we, and family waiting <laughs> to let well, us try. Fantastic! I really appreciate the support, guys. And, and I, 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 I know we briefly discussed over email. You're doing some kind of giveaways, and I'll be happy yeah. to contribute some savage and cook to that. Uh, and it's coming up, and we're we're happy to throw in put some savage and cook as a prize for that giveaway in the future. Awesome! Well, thank awesome. you so much. Appreciate yes, that. Thank you. <laughs> Again, let's give a special shout out to Dylan Carney, head distiller at Savage and Cook Distillery, for joining us on the show today, discussing all things whiskey and distilling. It was so much fun. Very fun. This all of the Savage and Cook whiskeys that we tried today and the Manhattan Project were amazing. I highly recommend go out and look for a Savage and Cook whiskey to try. All of our Savage and Cook products are gone. Going once, Wait, going I twice. I don't like that. Hold on. I don't know about you, Justin, but all of the whiskeys that we have tried today by Savage and Cook and my Manhattan Project are gone yeah i'm gonna need more of that savage or that sorry that uh manhattan project going once going twice sold old-fashioned football